Hey, this is Sean Leary, and welcome back to QC Uncut, uncut, unedited, unfiltered conversation with local newsmakers, whether they be in the realm of politics, arts, entertainment, or really whatever. As long as I think they'll make for interesting conversation, then they are welcome to be guests on my show. And today, we are going to get a lot of interesting conversation because this individual and I just shot the ship for about uh, an hour prior to this off the record, and I should have probably been recording it, but nevertheless, <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless um, I'm happy to welcome Brett Hitchcock. Uh, Brett is, what is your official, I know you and Denny basically own Circa 21 and the Speakeasy, but what is your official title? Director of Audience Development. Okay, Director so, of Audience Development, right. which is a fancy way of saying you guys own the place and you're trying to get people in the doors. <laughs> exactly, uh, yes. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, and Brett and I have been friends for a long time, um, and aside from a, uh, a proclivity to pick Minnesota Vikings players for his fantasy football team, he's a, he's a pretty good guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it hasn't worked out real well the last few years. So. Yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, we have actually been business partners in the past, too. I've done shows here at the Speakeasy, and this is where we're at. We're in the lovely Speakeasy next to Circa 21, which is um, what I wanted to talk about, because Speakeasy is a very interesting venue, and I don't just say that because I've produced shows here. <laughs> I say that because it's got a great history, and it is it has evolved into something that I think is really cool and distinct in the Quad Cities, and that is you guys are probably not only the most diverse venue from an entertainment standpoint right. but from an audience standpoint and an inclusive standpoint mm -hmm. you have performers on stage you have trans performers you have you know people regardless of gender or sexual you know proclivity or whatever um you guys are very inclusive and diverse in the type of shows that you present and i think that that's really cool and as someone who's come to a lot of the shows mm -hmm. i see the same thing in the audience and there's really this kind of this very accepting vibe yep. um you know and it's not just you know like you're going to a gay bar there's like gay people there's gay people there's straight people there's people of all different you know races and ages yep. too i mean you see you know people in their early 20s here you see people who are, you know, 60, 70 years old here. Absolutely. Uh, you see bachelorette parties here. You see, like, 60th birthday parties here. Yep. Um, and so it's really kind of a cool thing to see, to see this wide variety of humanity uh -huh. all engaging in the thing that really, truly unites us, and that's humor. Yep. And laughter and entertainment and having a good time. And, you know, I've said this for a long time, that the way – to cut through all the division in humanity is through entertainment and sports mm -hmm. because those are the two things that unite us all people always will root for a sports team you look in the stands and there are all kinds of people rooting for the same team you look at an entertainment show you look in the audience and it's all different kinds of people yep. you know even Mike Pence went to Hamilton yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes know? he did so yeah um, he did get booed, but nevertheless, yeah. I give him credit also for yeah. saying, like, that's to his son. He said, that's the sound of freedom. That's and right. That's great. Exactly. And, and I admire him for doing that. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it's very true. And so that's one of the things I uh, would like to um, – why don't, why don't we I'd say, oh, it's good to do the history and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But let's start with that. Let's talk about the fact that in the last few years, yeah. um, the speakeasy has really become this very welcoming, mm -hmm. inclusive, and diverse place. Now, was that something that you guys uh, thought of? Uh, was it a plan, or was it just something that kind of evolved organically? Well, I think that when the split happened with comedy sports a number of years ago, when we right. were left with this great space and trying to figure out what to do with it, um, I think pretty quickly we decided that we want to go the opposite direction of what comedy sports is. Comedy sports is great. Uh, it has that that target audience. You know, it's clean comedy, so sure, they're getting sure. you know lots of kids and, and and families and things like that. We thought, you know, we want to go a different direction. We want to make this more of like an adult entertainment kind of right. facility. And so as we looked at the programming very early on, um, we looked at things like the Blacklist, you know, working with them to get mm -hmm. that up and going. And uh, there was stuff, Danielle from American Pickers and her burlesque troupe at the time. And we were working sure. with them. We, we reached out to them and, and uh, they were looking for a home. And so we started working with Danielle and, and some of those. And that turned into Bottoms Up Burlesque a few years later. Mm -hmm. But it was something about, we wanted to be edgy. 
Right. You know, there was nothing in this market that was edgy. Mm-hmm. You know, and we thought there's a niche. There's something that we can do. We mm-hmm. can do edgy comedy. We can do edgy shows. Well, whatever. Yeah. I mean, there, there, <laughs> right. and, and so we, there, there's there surely is a need for it, and there's a market for it right. that's not being fulfilled at this point. And uh, you know, honestly, you know, we wanted to do something that was gonna where people were gonna come in and party. Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted that 21 to 40, 45 year old that wanted to come in and party and have a good time. Mm-hmm. And so that was really the goal. You know, when we looked at what to do with this space after the split. And so again, when we started uh, programming it, that's how we that's how we went about programming it. You know, whether it was you know the blacklist or the uh, um, you know the the improv shows or you know there were some shows we brought down from Chicago. There was a, a really yeah, talented lady like stand up and stuff like that. Yeah, there was a show called Bye Bye Liver, mm-hmm. which a lady that local Cheryl, uh, Cheryl Lashley, I believe, yeah, that, sure. yeah, uh, yeah. that she was involved with from Chicago. We brought that down, but it was again, it was all about promoting you know a good time, you know, whether it's coming out and drinking and having a good right. timing, but that's what we wanted. We wanted that adult, edgy kind of humor. And, um, you know, you look at over the last seven years or so, and it just kind of exploded, you know, yeah. and I think that I, I like to think of us as kind of a, an incubator, right. you know, for, for shows. I mean, we've always been very open when, when people come up and they say, Hey, I've got a show idea. This is what I want to do. I mean, a lot of times I'll sit down and, and we'll look at it and we'll say, yeah, let's, how can, how can we do this? Does this have legs? Can we try it? And, and do they always work? No, right. but, but right. I mean, and it, I can it, attest to that in both circumstances. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but the stuff we did was good. I mean, it's just, and it's, right. uh, you know, I think what we have done is we have done a good job in finding that audience. So regardless of what the show is, you know, the audience that's coming in here is used to those kinds of things. Now, even away from the comedy shows, I mean, we're doing, we started doing the drag show a number of years ago mm-hmm. and the drag show has been extremely well received. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the one show that we do that's a little bit opposite from everything else is the Manny Lopez Big Band, which sure. we've done now. We're just starting our seventh year with that. Um, that demographic is more like our demographic at Circa. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the average age, you know, from, I say we're like 21 to 45 for a lot of the shows. That one's probably probably 65 and up. Right. Um, but again, we've got a, a really loyal following mm-hmm. for that show, and it does really well every month. I mean, Manny knows all the musicians in town. Right. I mean, he, he's pulling the best that there are, and not even from just in this market. I mean, he's pulling guys every month that are driving up from Peoria, driving down from Dubuque, right. that are coming in to do this big band gig. And uh, and, and so it's, you know, we're, we're pulling up an audience, a great audience for that every month. So it's, you know, it, it, as you mentioned before, Diverse is one of the things that we want to be, right. and we have been, you know. And I think with you know going from male strip shows to the Manny Lopez big band and kind of everything in between. I mean, it's uh, you know we kind of do a little bit of everything, and uh, those are the extremes, I think. And and that's and that's great. That's where we want to be. We want to kind of be on the edge. So. Right. You know, you you just don't want to mash it up so where the strippers are playing jazz and Manny's <laughs> taking his clothes off. The performers are performing. Right. You know, the performers, uh, the strippers are on stage with Manny's band. So right, that's right. Right. that'd be a new switch. So right. <laughs> that's funny because you know you mentioned that, and I remember writing a column about that mm-hmm. when uh, comedy sports left, mm-hmm. and I remember my column was all about how great this was actually going to be mm-hmm. because, like I said, we had produced Tristan and I produced shows here. Yep. Um, back uh, 2003 to like 2007. Well, and you guys and were some of the first to do the late night stuff too. I right, think that that right. that, uh, that, that, that was Jeff, the split. Right. You had comedy sports was the early show, and they were G rated, right. PG. And then Tristan and I, my Verona, we were yep. doing all the R-rated stuff. Right. So yeah, but I think that enough. Jeff Jeff Adamson was doing a few things here and there as well. But you and right. Tristan came in and started doing that on a fairly regular basis, and that and 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 that was the first. I think you were the first ones in the market to start doing that. I mean, that right. wasn't being done. That late night comedy stuff wasn't being done. You know, other than the stand up clubs that would come and go, you know, in the market. But there was really nothing like that happening. So yeah, in that yeah. respect, you and Tristan were some of the first to to do that in and, the market. And, and, yeah, and the reason why was because no one else was doing it. Right, exactly. And we wanted to see it. Yep. And, and so, yeah, I mean, when, when that happened and when sports split, mm-hmm. I remember thinking that, you know, I mean, I was in a position, it was not in a position at the time because my son was a baby. Right. And so I wasn't about to get back into the game because I know the late nights that it entails and everything. Yeah. But I remember thinking, wow, somebody should really take advantage of this because you've got now three venues for entertainment Mm -hmm. then sports is going to be moving over here and the thing is is this is a smaller venue and so you can take more chances and you can have that r-rated comedy in Mm -hmm. here and no one else was doing it so i thought it was a really cool uh, opportunity yeah and so then when the blacklist came up and started doing that Mm -hmm. i really i was really happy about it because all of a sudden you went from two entertainment venues that were doing some cool stuff, right? Um, in Circa and the Speakeasy, to three, right? And it's just more opportunity for entertainment for the Quad Cities and the local art scene and for local 
creators yep. to be, yeah, be on stage. And I mean, it, it's all good. And I think that that's one of the cool things that you guys have done here is you've been open to all these different things. And the Adamsons have done the same thing over sure there. Yep. I mean, um, like I said, I produce shows here. I produce, produce shows over yep. at the establishment. And, and both of you guys have been really cool in regard to expanding the area art scene in, in different ways. Sure. We never felt like with the Blacklist early on that we were competition with no, comedy sports because it was very different. We were attract, we were going after different audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, they had the built-in audience that they had for, sure, for 20 sure. years already. And we had, you know, we were trying to build that new audience you know with those people that wanted to come in and party and you know we had all the swear words and the dildos and everything else that you know you don't get over comedy <laughs> sports and so they was that was we were trying to define that that difference between what these two were and i, I think that you know during the heyday of the blacklist uh, in here it worked really well i mean there was a great audience and people really came to appreciate that and they and they they uh, they enjoyed the difference i mean there were still people that went to sports that would come right. over here and uh uh and and they appreciated the difference in the yeah. two shows so well, i think a lot of people went to both Absolutely. I, honestly, I mean, yeah. I, re- I remember going to both. Sure. And, I mean, and being a being a parent, yep. I liked being able to take my son over to comedy sports. Yep. But I also liked being able to come over here and the see teams. the blacklist. Right. Exactly, absolutely. You know? it, yeah. It's fun and having that, having those options. Yeah, and then as as we as we just kind of progressed over the years, and more and more shows started happening. You know, some of the mm-hmm. the blacklist folks would would spin off, or, or people like Josh Kahn that do so many things. You know, Josh came to sure. us with a few different show ideas, and so those kinds of things would start happening. I think probably one of the first ones we did uh, with with Josh Kahn and Wayne Leiter. They were one of the first ones to come to us that right. that, that wanted to do kind of their own thing with the stand-up face-off mm-hmm. and again it was a really creative idea you know taking these stand-up comedians and and just screwing around with them in the middle of the show and i think the audience there were they they built an audience for it i think the people dug it uh but it was just that creativity and i think that's the thing that's that's made this space so great is that there are so many creative people yeah you know and this market you know again you and tristan or or, or a lot of those people that are formerly of the blacklist i mean there's just there's so many really creative people out there that have really good ideas right, right. and and it's just you know again that's how i've always felt like we're kind of an incubator for those kinds mm-hmm. of things i mean people have come in and and uh they tried shows again sometimes they work sometimes they don't you know sometimes it takes a while for them to gain some traction and, and again sometimes mm-hmm. you never get going and not the not that they that doesn't mean that it's not a quality show right um for just whatever reason it just didn't take hold so well yeah and it's timing too Absolutely. i mean it's like you yep. and i talked about when we were doing the my verona stuff i don't think the market was really ready Ready for that R-rated stuff yet? Right, right. It took a little while for people to kind of catch on to it, yep. and then it really sort of like started to become accepted more. And I think the blacklist yep. really kind of broke it through, right. in a lot of ways. And then you saw, then you saw, you saw like shots to the heart, yeah, you know, that my Verona right. did. Then you, really, really right. Well. Then yeah. you know, but the comedy sports audience when it was when you were doing it in here, that audience was not prepared for that no, kind of stuff. They weren't. But yeah. when we had branded it for two or three years already uh-huh. as that kind of club, and then we then bring we shows like back, my yeah. shots to the heart in here, it did it. I mean, we were sold out. We were turning people away, yeah, you know, exactly. it's uh, because the club was branded for it. That audience was we had that audience captured. Mm-hmm. We could right. get to them, you know, with the, with the kind of show. And it was it was one of those kinds of shows that they loved. Right. And that's what's cool. And like yeah. you said, um, there are there are so many creative people around here. Yeah. And you mentioned Josh Khan. Yep. Great guy. Very creative, mm-hmm. um, imaginative. Uh, Nikki Gillette. Absolutely. Also. Yep. Um, and a lot of those folks who, you know, did show us your Pokeballs mm-hmm. and spun off in regard to that. Um, let's talk about, okay, we went from comedy sports mm-hmm. and we were doing my Verona stuff late. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of, Tristan and I stopped doing my Verona cause I had, you know, became a dad and, and you know, important things going on. Impor- I had important things going on in my life. I had to step away from producing. Um, then comedy sports leaves too, a mm-hmm. uh, couple of years later. <clears throat> And then the va- into the vacuum comes the blacklist, mm-hmm. which, as I was saying off record, I always saw the blacklist as kind of like the bastard child of those two, mm-hmm. of us and of my Verona and comedy sports, the R-rated stuff and the improv. Right. And it ended up becoming very successful because I think people were ready to accept it. They were finally getting to that point. Yep. And the blacklist had a lot of very talented performers they did some cool stuff mm-hmm. and it also you had like you said you had the blacklist over here you had comedy sports over there there was a, an obvious hunger for improv and for comedy yep. and you had two very distinct groups that were doing it in two different ways and so you had two different flavors that you could sample uh-huh. and go back and forth with um 
And I thought it was really cool. Well, then you get into, you start spinning off into a lot of other different projects. And you mentioned stand-up, face-off, and, and things of that nature. But they're very, they're similar. Right. They're still comedy shows. Right. Then you had to take a chance with burlesque. Mm-hmm. Now, how did that come about? What made you think, okay, we think that this can work? Because obviously, that's a bigger leap. Than right. going from like improv to stand up or sketch comedy because they're all within the comedy realm, right? And you know you got R rated, you know we were doing R rated sketch comedy. We never did improv or anything. So you go from R rated sketch comedy to R rated improv. Okay, well, it's, but it's still kind of the same thing. Yep. Burlesque is an entirely different matter. Absolutely. While it may have that plot line that runs through, uh-huh. it's still you're dealing with the misconception of it just being a strip show you're dealing with people who may be like whoa well i'll laugh at this stuff that's mm-hmm. r-rated but i don't want to go out and see it you know right. and and it's very different so what gave you the impetus or you know gave you the courage mm-hmm. really to say okay well we're going to do this we're going to give this a try because we think it'll be successful what was what was that well when we were looking again at the very beginning right after the split and and knowing what we wanted to do as far as the audience being edgy doing things like that we started looking at what other kinds of shows are there out there that would fit this mold mm-hmm. and i i think what had happened as i recall you know is that we saw a story somewhere about uh, burlesque play mustache, which was Danielle's right. troupe, uh, maybe doing a show at the Capitol or somewhere like that. Yeah, it was the Capitol, and we right. thought, you know, that that's it. You know, mm-hmm. that there is something that is going to be perceived as the public as kind of an edgy show, um, but it would fit perfect. And we thought, like, you know, this is it's such an intimate space. Right, it's a really good space for that kind of stuff. The audience is very involved, very engaged the whole time. We thought this is perfect. We reached out to Danielle. Uh, she was yeah, very the secret. The secret to this space. Yes, I'm giving away this trade secret, <laughs> and you and I both know this, and we've talked about this before. Yeah. Is you have to get out into the audience, right? You have to engage the audience, yeah. and that's what when we were directing shows here, all of our shows yeah. were immersion shows. It was you know there yeah. were scenes in the crowd, and the per, the host would walk out into yeah. the crowd. It wasn't you. We never were just up on stage, and I think that. That's one, shows, that's, that's one of the things. That's one of the things that's so important. Oh yeah, that, I mean that's one of the reasons why this club works so well. It's mm-hmm. not a big club, you know. It's only seats about 130, but the audience is engaged and yeah. they're involved the whole time. So we went to Danielle and we said, "Hey, listen, we've got this club. You know, this is kind of what we want to do, and we're interested. You know, wanting to know whether you're interested in coming in and doing shows." And thankfully, she was. Mm-hmm. And so we started. We, we started working with her. And doing some of those shows, and then over the uh, about a year or two after that, um, there were a lot of the people. I think that Danielle's career path had changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was kind of at the point where that was just when Pickers was taken off, um, and so she was getting much busier with that. Um, and she was ready to start doing bigger things. I think too, she wanted to go back and start doing shows at the Adler or the Capitol again. Or I think she lives in Chicago now, so she may have been commuting to Chicago at that point too, wanting to do things up there. Um, and you know, was felt like they were at a point where they were ready to move on from this space. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people that were with her, um, thankfully, didn't feel that same way. Uh, and so I remember getting a phone call one night. I was sitting home. I think it was a Sunday night or something like that. And Wayne Leiter calls. And he says, hey, there's a whole bunch of us that have just resigned uh, from Burlesque Lay Mustache, but we want to continue doing shows. And we want to know whether you'd be interested in, in working with us. And at that point, we had a choice. You know, do we do we stick with Danielle and, and, and the thing that's proven or do we do we run with basically the majority of what was her troop mm-hmm. uh, with this new project and start all over with a new name and branding it and everything else? And we thought, you know what? We had just gotten to, you know, the blacklist was up and going. We thought this is this is what we need to be doing. So right. we, we aligned with bottoms up and it, it certainly was the right choice. I mean, again, it's 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 such a creative group of people mm-hmm. and you know for them, and I think the thing that's really important that some people don't get sometimes is they all get all caught up in the reveals and everything else. The whole thing with Bottoms Up, it's it's about making women feel comfortable in their own bodies. It's mm-hmm. not about the striptease part of it. Yeah, that's that's part right. of it. But but the bigger the bigger message in their shows are women feeling comfortable in your own bodies. It's average women, you know. There's not stick models. It's not it's it's not that kind of show. It's it's just your average women, which is a beautiful thing. And those right. ladies getting up on stage and being comfortable with that. That's what it's always been about. And I think that's why it's been so successful. 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and people have come and gone, you know, much like, you know, we talked about with shows and, 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 and people, I mean, their troupe has had a lot of turnover over the years too. From the very beginning, people would come and go. And now you see an offshoot of Bottoms Up, which is Moonshine Burlesque, mm-hmm. which is doing sure, stuff in Moline sure. now. I mean, that, those are all folks that were with, you know, Bottoms Up originally that spun off. And so you, you, I, I think that is, um, I think that is a testament to the success of Bottoms Up. Right. You know, over all these years, you're getting to the point now where people are spinning off from them sure. and, and starting their own, their own troops that, that I, you know, I assume are doing fairly well. But I think that's uh, uh, imitation. What is imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Yeah. So, well, yeah. And, uh, and, and so I think they look at the model and they, and they spin off. And I, I think that's great, you know, to see that, that happening. So, um, I think that's just the nature of creative people. And again, that's something we were talking about before we, we started recording is the fact that, I mean, like, I mean, I know as a creative person, I get bored. Yeah. I mean, I'll do I'll do a show and I I can't stick with like I'll do a sketch show for like, you know, six months or seven months. And then I'll get to the point where I'm just like, OK, I'm bored. I need to move on to something else. Yeah. And I know a lot of other creative creative people are the same way. Mm-hmm. And so you see that you see people kind of doing their one shot deals or whatever. Sure. Or they'll come in and they'll do something for a couple of months. And it's not necessarily because it, it failed or mm-hmm. creatively failed or it commercially failed or whatever. It's just you just get to a point where you get that itch and you're like, oh, well, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something else. And so I think you're seeing that. And the cool thing about the speakeasy is that it's open to becoming an incubator for all these different ideas. And so I think that what you guys seem to understand is that creative people are like that and that we will come to you with different ideas and you're always open to when we come to you with these different ideas and you're like, well, sure. Why don't we try it and see if it works, you know? And since it is a smaller space, you can, I hate to, it doesn't have to succeed. Not, Not everything has to be a huge home run. You know, in a hundred, we prefer that it be. But you're right. Yes, exactly. I mean, everybody wants to have an audience. Everybody wants to sell out. But if you only, you know, if you got a hundred and thirty capacity venue, it's not like a thousand capacity venue or something like that. That if you're selling twenty five tickets, right? I mean, fifty or sixty people in this audience, if they spread out, makes the house look pretty good. Right. Exactly. I mean, a hundred and thirty is better. But obviously, you know, you get you know fifty, sixty, seventy people in here, and then everyone, if we're if it's one of those performances where we're not reserving the seats in advance is just open seating the space is going to look pretty full sure, at that point sure. so um but uh so that's got to be but that's got to be some a consideration that you guys have is the fact that you can try these things when in a venue this size yeah we we are able to do that to a certain extent right. you know at the end of the day you know we still have fixed expenses of in course, here you know yeah. we've got staff we've got the liquor license we've got dram insurance we've got all the utilities we've got all those things that have to add up so i mean we have to we have to be able to, to make a profit. Yeah, I mean, every once in a while we can do a show that, that we feel good about and maybe it just doesn't take off, right. you know, and, and okay, that's fine. You know, you move on. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, we it is better for us to, to make a little bit of money than to be losing it. So it's, uh, again, we're we're fortunate in the fact that, that we're all one big company. I mean, sure. the, the Speakeasy is basically a, a division of Circa 21 at the end of the day. And so... Um, you know, there, there is the main theater over there, too, that can help support this, you know, when, when it's not, you know, we're going through a period where it's not doing very well, whereas this is not big enough, doesn't generate enough income to support all oh, of our yeah. expenses over there. I mean, it's just a whole other beast when you get next door with, with the cost of that building and, and the shows and everything else and the actors and everything that we do over there. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's you know, it, it does, it works well. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and uh, again... Just, but it's always better for us to to try to be turning a profit. Of course, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to diminish diminish the importance of being being able to keep the lights on. Yes. But yes. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is that you know when you have a smaller venue, you right. can say, okay, well, um, the burlesque show will be able to draw. Okay, like this is before burlesque had really taken off or whatever. You can say, well, you know, I think we'll be able to draw a hardcore. 60, 70 people. Right. And maybe we'll get up to 100, 110, 120, and maybe we'll sell out. But when you can say we can draw 60 people on the regular, yeah. that keeps the lights on Absolutely. in a venue yes. this size. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you look at that and you look at the the uh, proposed income from the bar. Sure. You know, we can usually tell based on the number of people that are going to be in the audience 
approximately what we're going to do on bar. Sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you'll get a group of heavy drinkers and sometimes you'll have an audience of, of a hundred people and they won't drink anything. You know, they'll drink water and pop and it'll right. be like, you know, a flashback to the comedy sports days. And well, it's like, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and, and so you, you just never know. But right. I mean, we have a pretty good handle on that, you know, as far as what the bar is going to do. And that's obviously an important part of what we're doing too. You know, again, that's part of the, the whole business plan was to get people in here that wanted to see these kinds of shows, but then also you know, have a few drinks as well. Right. So, well, I think that's, that was, a, I remember correctly, uh, why Sessions had such a hard time when Manny ran the jazz bar over there is right. because it would, every time I'd go there, there'd be a ton of people there, but it would be a lot of people who were drinking the same, who were nursing the same Pepsi that they'd had yeah. the entire evening, so they weren't making any money right. on, right. on the that, bar. And that's, that's the one show, as I mentioned, it's a completely different demographic, and, and there are nights where we'll do really yeah, well. I'm not knocking Manny. Oh, I'm just, no, I remember not, not at all. we were not talking about Manny, and I was remembering Sessions yep. over yep. there, because yep. that was... You mentioned like some audiences, you have a small crowd, yep. but they nail the bar, and you'll make a whole heck of a lot more money. No, and, and, and you know, for Manny's shows, we will sell, will sell a fair amount of drinks, but it's usually right away. I mean, because mm-hmm. we have it's an earlier show. You know, the doors open at five, the show starts at six, sure. so it's over by eight thirty, so people can still get home in a reasonable time. Uh, but they'll have a couple of drinks early, and then they usually slow down. You know, and right. uh, uh, and and that's fine. You know, we've we've known that now for seven years. That's how it works. We knew that going into it. You know, Manny was very upfront with us saying you know don't expect this to be a, a blockbuster bar right. crowd because it's not going to be and so we never planned on that for that show but um it, you know it, sometimes it'll surprise you when people right. come in and uh um but again that's it's just such a fun show too because that's such a different audience and again it's a, it's a great room for a big band right. and you know we get a lot of requests too where people come to us and want to do stuff with bands and that really is the one thing that we do try to shy away from because we're just not we just don't we're not equipped sound wise to do right. it yeah. and what I tell people is we've got this this you know place that has been around for 30 years in Ribco you know that bands have played and, and you know Terry does a great has done a great job over there for many years and, and I'll usually refer bands to Terry I said go see Terry you know, he does a great job over there or go to, uh, you know, depending on Roz Tox or Day Trotter. Yeah, Day Trotter or, or RME or someplace like that. I mean, right. those are the guys that and, and the businesses that, that really are equipped, that have the sound equipment to do that kind of stuff, that have that audience. I mean, and we just don't have that audience. That the, you know, Talking about shows that didn't do well. I mean, we tried a few musical things really early on mm-hmm. and we just had no luck with it whatsoever. And I think the big part, the big drawback for people with this space with bands is there was simply nowhere to dance. Mm-hmm. You know, we That's don't true. have we don't have a dance floor, and we we found that out with Manny real early on. There were a few people that came the first couple of months that were mad because there was nowhere to dance. They'd never come back. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the crowd, you know, doesn't mind. They don't mind. They they can sit there and be bop. And we've always got a, a couple. There's a couple that sits in the back every month for Manny that gets up and a dance every month back by the bar. At least three or four numbers, and it works fine. You sure. know, um, but that's why we. You know, that's the the band thing is the one thing we've never really dabbled into very much. Uh, we'll refer them to again Ribco, Rostocks, you know, RME or Daytrot or somewhere like that where where they're more equipped to and have the audience to get people in front of them right right and that's and that's cool that's one of the great things about the district that i've always loved is the fact that we have such a wide variety of things down here um well let's talk about some of the other shows that you got into um the the uh drag shows yeah um what led you you know again um burlesque you got burlesque you got comedy and even lip sync battle is i mean it's basically a comedy show Mm -hmm. more or less um and that's something that I mean a lot of people have done before with the lip sync stuff and everything else. But then you got the drag shows. Now this is something that's typically been, you know, the province of you know the gay bars right. and stuff like that. Yep. You might see oh JR's is having a drag show. Well yeah okay, uh-huh. or you know Mary's or whatever. Right. Um, you don't see it in a in a more you know. Yeah, mainstreamy type of theater. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, every once in a while you'll have the novelty of like a strip, you know, Thunder Down Under or something like that, whatever, at comedy sports or wherever, but you don't typically have it on the regular. So you guys come in and you start to have these shows. Um, and as we talked about, not everybody is always. Uh, liberal minded in regard to a lot of the, a lot of these things. And so, um, how do what was that like for you guys? What led you down that road to say like, you know, okay, we're going to take a chance with this and see, was there a certain audience you saw coming out to other shows? Was there a demand for it? Did people who were coming to burlesque say, you know what I want to see? Cause burlesque has that same sort of ornate, 
mm-hmm. s- uh, theatrical, stagey quality to it mm-hmm. that the drag shows do. Right. Um, and so you have that that kind of realm of creativity yeah. within both types of shows. Now, was that something that led you to believe that one would work where the other one had, or was it something completely different? Well, about four or five years ago, we were at the point where we needed to introduce something else. You know, we right. had we had bottoms up was was rolling along. The blacklist was rolling along. We had some of the other comedy shows we've talked about that would that would kind of come and go. But we needed another anchor show. Mm-hmm. And so again, it was right back to what else? What can we do? What other kind of shows are there that's going to draw? that same kind of crowd that we're already getting, that 21 to 45 people that want to come in and party. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, my ex-wife and I had just gone to Pride Fest, and we had stood and we watched one of the drag shows uh, in downtown Davenport, and I thought, wow, that's really cool. I mean, that, that would be that would be, perf- that would be perfect. And uh, I said, well, again, with the, with the intimacy of this Great. space, that would be perfect. Um, I didn't know how to get a hold of them. Uh, at the time, Carl McClaskey was still working at the district, yeah. and uh, I was on the district board, and so I got talking with Carl, and Carl gave me a couple of names, and it was right. Jamie Summers and uh, Jericho Freyas, and and they said, "I think you should call these two, uh, and uh, they're both performers, and I think that they would would love the opportunity to do something in a different club." Mm-hmm. And so we brought them in, and uh, talked to them a little bit, and and that was one of the discussions up front was, "Do we, you know." we probably are not going to get a lot of the gay and lesbian audiences because they're probably going to stay at connections. Uh, mm-hmm. at that time, JR's was, was not open. It was, right. uh, it was still the, strip strip it was the body shop, mm-hmm. but it was, but it was at Mary's or, or I'm sorry, not at Mary's, but at connections. Right. And where we're going to get that audience to come over. And that was the great unknown. I mean, I, we were very upfront telling them that, that we were going after bachelorette parties right. and our goal or the thought behind it was, is that there's, everyone's heard of drag shows, sure. but there may be people out there that just, weren't comfortable for whatever reason going to a gay club mm-hmm. you know whereas if they come to a club like this uh, that, that maybe it would not be you know maybe they wouldn't as feel as intimidated mm-hmm. and so we went out and we started promoting the heck out of it to bachelorette groups for parties and things like that and we brought it in um, the first one we sold out uh, and it's just really kind of gone on from there a funny story we got a big story in the newspaper before the first one and this lady calls me one day I think it was the day before the first show. And uh, my name, I think it was in one of the local newspapers, and my name was attached to it. And so the woman calls, and she goes, are you Brett Hitchcock? And I said, yes. And she says, doesn't give me your name, doesn't tell me where she's from. She said, I just want you to know that you're going to hell. <laughs> she said, when your day of reckoning comes... For what, yeah. what, what, for which reason yeah, this time? Yeah, really. I said, my ticket was punched a long time ago, lady. I know this is, doing a drag show is not just the icing on the cake. So uh, I said, she said, you're going to hell. When your day of reckoning comes and you're standing at the pearly gates, I want to assure you that you're just going to fall through. That there's no way because what you're doing is immoral. Uh, it's not right, right. Uh, and 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 damn you for doing it. And she hung up on me. Right. And so that was our that was our thing into the into the drag shows. But I'll tell you what, it has been incredibly popular. Right. Um, you know some of the performers that have come. So you'll have a lot of company when you go down. Yeah, I will. Yes, uh-huh. that's right. So, um, <laughs> but they've done really well. But again, it's one of those things. It was it was so so many people that uh, are not as open minded. Right. I mean, they just are freaked out by it. But I, I think that the funny thing about the drag shows is that if you've never been to one you just got to come to one because it's so you know, much damn yeah, fun. It is. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's over the top. It it's is. It's goofy. It's funny. It's totally campy. They're not pushing it's, a lifestyle yeah, on you I mean, at all. I mean, they're not. They're not. They're coming out. It's all about the glitz and the glamour. Right, it is. And they're and they're. I mean, there's women that come in every month that that can't believe how beautiful these dresses are mm-hmm. that the performers are wearing and and you know how much they look like women i mean it just it's it's amazing it's extremely the, elaborate yeah like yes. i said it's very similar to the burlesque shows yeah in that you know if you strip the gender and sexual component from it right whether if you strip the head roll gay thing it's mm-hmm. People putting on a costume show. Yeah. In both instances. Yeah. It's, you know, they put a lot of theatricality into the costumes, into the staging. It is unbelievable. Into the way that- they do all this stuff. And, and I when I first came here to see it, I'm like, yeah, yeah it's, like bur- it's like a burlesque show. Yeah. Only it's a different type of, you right. know, sexual proclivity that's, you know, on display or whatever, which is kind of ridiculous that people would be intimidated absolutely and i think that it's important that if you've not seen one before come in and see it every month it never fails that we'll get 
like four or five couples that'll come in, mm-hmm. be heterosexual couples, and the guy, you know, has got a hat on, is drinking a bush light or whatever else, right. and then an hour between the doors and the show, the guy's sitting on his hands and he's looking straight ahead. He's not looking side to side. He just looks like he's right. completely freaked out, thinking, you know, what the hell did you get me into? Is really what he's thinking here. Uh, <laughs> and he's what, afraid to go. Well, yeah. And once the show starts, they come out. They, mm-hmm. They've got a great, you know, Jamie, our MC, comes out and spends some time just with getting some rapport with the audience going. She does a great job with that right, right away, and people are comfortable. And almost every single time, these straight guys that'll be in here, by the second or third number, they're up dancing around too or giving the performers a dollar and getting their picture taken with mm-hmm. them. And, and, and they end up having a great time. But it's right. just getting over that initial you know, weird feeling about going to a drag show. But it's just, right. it, it's just, it's a really a great thing. And, uh, you know, I mentioned before, I felt like to a certain degree, maybe we helped bring it a little bit mainstream right. in this market. And I'm really proud of that. I mean, because so many people, I mean, we'll ask, they'll ask every month how many people have never been to a drag show before. And there's always a big portion of the audience that'll raise their hands. Right. Uh, um, and, and so being able to expose people to such a great show like that, mm-hmm. I think is just a wonderful thing. So I agree, you know, and that's the thing is uh, when I first saw that, I, I said that to you. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I think it's really cool what you guys are doing because this is more mainstreaming mm-hmm. this this whole this whole culture and these type of shows. And the problem is, is like you said, people have never been to something like that before. Right. And they're just intimidated by it. And like you and I grew up in the arts. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been in theater and we've yeah. been in the arts and you and I are both heterosexual, but mm-hmm. we have a lot of friends who are gay and bi Absolutely. and, you know, yeah, sure. and, and, but, but we grew up in the arts and yep. so we're used to that. Uh-huh. And so we're not intimidated <clears throat> by it, but you know, sometimes you lose sight of the fact that if you're growing up in a small town where there aren't a lot of theater people and there right. aren't a lot of creative people and, you know, People are just not used to dealing with that, and yeah. to them, it's 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 intimidating. It's alien to them because, and it's not because they're necessarily bad people. Right. It's just that you know it's different, yeah. and so you're you're not sure. You're you're oh, it's it's something I'm not accustomed to, and so they're uncomfortable with it. And so I think that they need sometimes if people are kind of eased into it right. in a way that's more comfortable. Oh, I'm coming to the same venue where I used to go see comedy sports mm-hmm. or I went to go see this stand-up comedy show. Right. So there's nothing wrong with that place. I've been to that place before right. and you know they come in and they see this and they're like, "Wow, that, you know, oh, it's a bunch of guys dressed up in yeah. elaborate costumes and cracking jokes and you know, it's like the a, line, sh- a share show, you know. I mean, it's absolutely really, it's- the line that they use at the end of the show, which which the audience loves, is um, they'll say, "If men can look this good, there's no excuse for an ugly woman." <laughs> That's how they end the show, and and, and it's so they I mean, they understand. I mean, it's it, it, again, it's all about the glitz and the glamour, and right. the the just like the burlesque ladies, you know, they spend you know. I can't even imagine how much money on, on 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 costumes and makeup and things like that. But the same thing for the for the drag performers as well. I mean, it's unbelievable some of the costumes and the amount of money and the time. I mean, it's it's an art form, and you know they're not getting rich from doing oh, yeah, this, and neither neither yeah. are the bur- burlesque folks. But it's a, it's a labor of love right. for both of them, and uh, you can see that. And I think that's why it's so well received because you can see how much those performers enjoy doing what they're doing. They're not doing it to get rich. You know, they're not getting rich from it, but it's a labor of love. They love what they're doing. They love to entertain audiences and that comes across on stage. Right. And uh, yeah, I think that just in general, I mean, you you get that feeling from Mm -hmm. a lot of the shows where people are, and the lip sync battle is like that too. Sure. Where the lip sync battle, I remember coming out to see it and it was like, this reminds me of like, Sleepovers when you're in junior high and you're doing a bunch, you know, you got a video camera and it's like, oh, let's do a bunch of goofy crap, you know, and lip sync or, you know, make a movie or something stupid, make a horror movie or something dumb. And it's just that kind of sense of fun. Yeah. That unadulterated, like unashamed sense of like being goofy. Right. And not being afraid to be goofy and look silly and and have fun and, and just that's, enjoy and that's what yeah you know, when michelle royal you know uh, approached us about the lip sync show i mean that was the same way i mean we were gonna it was gonna be a, a battle you know when it mm-hmm. was taken you know from the spike tv thing with ll right. cool j i mean it was like you know let's let's see if we can kind of copy some of that sure. a little bit and then create a, a local version of that and i think that uh, it, it has it's got legs i mean i think people enjoy it um it's kind of taken some we've it's kind of altered a little bit you know over the last couple of years and how we do it it's more of a, of a royal now than a battle Mm-hmm. Uh, but those performers are the same way. I mean, it's it's a it's a, it's fun to watch them get up and just perform and have a good time and and uh, and be crazy and and, and the audience uh, receives it very well. Now, um, another one of the shows that 
uh, has become successful. Mm-hmm. Show us your Pokeballs, uh-huh. which we were talking about. It's like, you know, it's it started off as kind of a niche show, but that was one of those things where, like, when they came up with that idea, yeah. I remember talking to Nikki about it. I'm like, this is genius. This mm-hmm. is great. This mm-hmm. is a fantastic idea. Um, you know, geek comedy for geeks. Right. And so you get that audience that comes in. And I remember, like, you know, coming to see one of the shows, mm-hmm. and it was like all this stuff that people who aren't into this are going to get but the people who are into it are mega into right. it and so they really geek out over the fact that oh wow they're doing fan fiction on this or they're doing that you know it's a very that's a very niche show because mm-hmm. you're right you know i i don't know how many people in this market would classify themselves as as, as nerds you know mm-hmm. and, and would get all the references to harry potter and i i'm not one of those so i you know some of those references are lost on me in the shows but um you know it it, it Again, it's that's one of those shows that has a small niche. We've kind of expanded it a little bit mm-hmm. now uh, to uh, it's a new thing called cheat code, cheat code yeah. right? Where where it's a little bit more um, sketch comedy and improv right. comedy and stand up. So we've kind of expanded upon just being the nerd themed stand up comedy to kind of make it a more well rounded show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had our first one a couple weeks ago. We had another one coming up, uh, I think, the end of next month, mm-hmm. and so that was it was very well received. So I, I think that you know that show especially. Nikki has done such a good job of getting out to the conventions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably ultimately where that show is going to thrive, as, as in the conventions. Yeah. I mean, now they're seeking these conventions or seeking her out, it's, sure. I, from what I understand, to bring these group of comedians and her to go to these conventions and traveling all over the Midwest. Right. Uh, and, and, and there you've got a built-in audience of thousands. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. so, you know, they, the shows they're doing there apparently are just hugely successful. And uh, um, so I think that's where, you know, as you look at the future of that show, I think that thing's going to explode on, on those comedy, on those scenes. With I the, agree. Yeah. I agree. That's why we're trying, we're uh, talking to her about doing a show for quadcities.com. Yeah. Uh, show us your Pokeballs show. Yep. But of course she's very busy. And so yeah, she's, yeah. very busy as well but i think but that's we'll get, we'll but i think that's there. where we'll get on the site eventually yeah and that's where she's already being sought out so i think that's yeah. all at the end of the day that's that show is going to be extremely successful and it's going to be traveling around you know the, the midwest or you know where all these conventions take place so yeah like i said when i first heard it i was like that's a genius idea uh-huh. I mean, that's the fantastic idea and they've yep. done a really good job with it um what are some of the other shows that you want to talk about the, the newer shows that uh, are here on the stage at the Speakeasy? We've got a couple. We Again, we kind of got to the point a few months ago where it was like, we need another staple. Similar when we talked about when sure. we did the blacklist and bottoms up and the drag mm-hmm. shows and whatnot. We need, we need something else. It's been a few years since we'd introduced anything new. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started doing some more research and we came up with the Dueling Pianos thing. Right. And we thought, you know what? Yeah, there was Nans and Davenport for a while. It's been closed for a few yeah, years, yeah. and uh, I think that uh, Comedy Sports may have tried it once or twice, and it, it, and it just went away. They didn't do it anymore, right. so it hadn't been done in the market for a while. That's true. Yeah, and so we started doing, we started contacting some companies around, and we found a company in Chicago, um, Windy City Dueling Pianos, and we reached out to them, and we said, hey, we've got this space. Uh, we're interested in doing a dueling piano show. You know, Charlie, the guy that owns it, he and I had several conversations. We ended up working it out. We had our first one last month. We were sold out more than a week in advance. The audience just ate it up. I mean, and uh, in fact, we've got another one coming up on March 31st. It's almost sold out already, which is much earlier than the shows usually sell out, you know, in this space. Sure. Uh, and so it seems to be extremely well received. We've got a lot of people that were for the first one that are coming back again for the second one already. So uh, we're hoping that that's going to be kind of a new staple for us. So mm-hmm. uh, in here and, you know, you've got to keep it. We got to keep it fresh. You know, you got to keep yeah. introducing new things. You know, if you get if you get stuck in that rut of just having the same things all the time, you know, people aren't going to come back. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so with that piano show, again, we had a lot of people that I don't, I, I'm not sure if they'd been in here before or not because it's, you know, there was some crossover with some of the other shows, but not a lot. I mean, and that was another show where demographically we had people in their 70s and we had people that were 18, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so it was on, on all points in between. And so, um, you know, it, it's it was. I think the younger people probably enjoyed it a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, than what the older demographic did. But you know, it was it was well received, and uh, uh, again, we're hoping that something like that can become a staple. Right. Um, we're also excited in June to be working with. Uh, um, uh, a company called the Burlesque Box out of Chicago mm-hmm. um, that uh, is going to be producing a show here, and it is a burlesque show. It's one of the months that Bottoms Up is not in here, um, and he's bringing in performers from all over the country. There's a couple coming in from New Orleans. There's someone from Vegas. There's one from St. Louis. Uh, there's a number from Chicago. He is using a few of the Bottoms Up performers as well, um, but it will give 
Um, it will give the bottoms up audience and our burlesque audience in here another opportunity to come in and see people that they can't normally see. I mean, they get used to, if they come to all the bottoms up shows, they get used to seeing a lot of the bottoms up performers and they're always, you know, again, there's always new ones being introduced. Uh, but this is basically a whole new group that they will only get to see once and they all go back to where they came from. And, and may not all be together again. Mm. And so we're really excited about that. I think that's on June 16th, which is a Saturday night, uh, just a one-night thing. So we're excited about that coming in. Um, and uh, the pimps are coming back. We've got a great improv show from Chicago called uh-huh. Pimp Prov, uh-huh. uh, which we've had in a few times. And it's about these four guys uh, that uh, are pimps. You know, that's their, their gimmick is that they're pimps. And they went to... Uh, Did you get uh, any guff for that one? No, I just, luckily I didn't get any calls on that. So, uh-huh. uh, But uh, it's these four African-American guys that, that they come in and they've got the pimp suits. I mean, they, they, they are dressed to the nines. And, you know, one's got a belt buckle that's got like a scrolling thing on it and everything uh-huh. else. I mean, they're, they're, their costumes are phenomenal. And uh, they, they come, borrowed those from me, you know. No, I know that. That's out of your, right out of your closet, right? <laughs> right out of my closet, yeah. Um, uh, and uh, so they come in and they do a really great improv show too. Uh, and we've had them in, I think, two or three times. They're coming back at the beginning of April. Uh, uh, so we're excited to have the pimps coming back for a night too. So. Cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, open source, do you want to mention open them? Open source, absolutely. Uh, some, you're going to have improv back here on the stage. Well, you have already once. Yeah, least, so. and uh, you know, yeah. open source uh, is a collection of folks that are formerly in the blacklist. Mm-hmm. Uh, since blacklist doesn't exist anymore, uh, but we are really excited to be working with them. And uh, as we've talked about over the last you know, 45 minutes or hour, the time's mm-hmm. flying by here, about comedy sports starting in here and then the blacklist starting in here. I mean, it just was... This has always been a great club for improv. Yeah. And so um, when open source was started, uh, the creators of that, um, um, again, which are a lot of former blacklist folks, came to us and said, we would like to come back and we would like to do improv uh, in the speakeasy again. And we were thrilled about that. Mm -hmm. So we sat down and met with them and uh, uh, were able to put some shows together. We've got one coming up April 1st and we've got one the end of May and we look forward to to plugging more in. But uh, again, it's the same great... uh, it, this is adult themed improv comedy, very similar to what the blacklist was. It's not we're not going back to, to doing what you know comedy sports does because again I think that you know we're catering to different audiences uh, and so it's a it's a really great talented group of people and so we're happy to have them back in here doing shows again and look forward to working with them cool. coming up. So well, I know one of the things we didn't talk about, but but it's true is a lot of people who are in or were in the blacklist in our couple in open source. They also perform at comedy sports. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes you want to do the R-rated improv, and sometimes you want to do the more G and PG-rated sure. improv. So, I mean, talent is talent. That's you know, right. I mean, you don't always work the same way every time yeah. out. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there are some crossovers, a couple crossovers. I don't know if there's a lot right now, but there's right. a few people. I think Josh may cross. Josh, Josh crosses back and forth. Yeah. Jessica, I think that's too. She, I'm not, she might. I'm not sure. But, uh, uh, but yeah, there is some crossover there, too. And, uh, you know, and, again, I think that goes back you know, when we were talking about having all those theaters together, I I think that that's something I'm going to switch up here for just a second and just talk about, you know, how downtown Rock Island is really kind of a booming place for entertainment. When you talk about Circa 21, and I'm going to do my shameless self-promotion here, you don't talk about Circa 21 and the speakeasy, Uh but then you look at at, uh, the Adamsons and their space and Dino Hayes over at the Center for Living Arts. Uh, You know, there's four theaters, you know, right there within a couple of blocks. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, formerly the district theater down here, that we had five at one point. And and there's nowhere else in the Quad Cities where you've got that kind of collection of entertainment facilities so close together, which is a really cool thing for Rock Island. I agree, and I just hope we keep on bringing more and more in here. Yeah, because I think you know the district has still got a lot of potential yep. to bring in even more entertainment. I mean, already we've got a really diverse group of entertainment venues and restaurants, yep. um, brew pubs and such. But you know, I think that of course there's always room for more as well. Absolutely, yeah. I think the downtown Rock Island. I mean, I don't think a lot of people realize how booming downtown Rock Island is right now. I mean, you come down and you say, well, there's nothing here. Or, or, you know, maybe people get disappointed or they get freaked out a little bit about the, all the police. They don't want to come down here and drink at night because there's police hanging around and they're worried about that. But, you know, it's not... It, Rock Island is so much safer now than it was oh, a few I years agree. ago. And, I you know, there was a couple of shitty bars that... that, yeah. that, that, that Luckily, Mayor Pauly got out a couple years ago, right. and as soon as those shitty bars were cleared out, um, you know, it, it got ten times better. Yeah. And, it, and it's safe down here now. And, and again, that's only not only for the, the crowds coming to the speakeasy shows where they can walk out after the show right. and feel comfortable, but our, our, our crowd at Circa 21, right. you know, which is typically a little older crowd, you mm-hmm. know, when they're walking out the door. I mean, you can feel safe now about coming into downtown Rock Island and not have to worry about, you know, being mugged or stabbed or, or anything like that. And uh, um, It was pretty rare you had to – I mean, I've been coming to the district now for – 
20 years for crying out loud you know and going out to the bars and staying out until you know three four i mean i remember being at ribco after hours and walking out and it was sunlight you know and, yep. and so yeah. I, I don't recall ever really having any issues or you know you see fights but you know what anytime you have a large group of drunk people coagulating right. you're going to get fights yeah. sometimes you and, know and what it happened just happens. a lot of time is you would have an isolated incident where maybe something and would it happen is isolated it's yeah. not like somebody's right. mugging somebody else it's you know two guys have a beef over some girl or whatever you know it's something stupid yeah. that has nothing to do with you or anybody else walking around it's just that particular isolated Incident. Right. And, you know, the operators, too. I mean, the operators, the bar operators that are down here now have been down here for a long right. time. I mean, two that I know that come off hand right away that I know better would be Terry at Ribco. Yeah. And Terry's run a, a stand-up operation for many, does, many years. Yeah. And Kyle Peters at the Daiquiri Factory yeah. has done the same thing. Kyle's a stand-up operator. And and, yeah. and, and, yeah. and so you've got Dave over at Icons. Dave at Icons mm-hmm. as well. I mean, you've got a group of, of, of guys now. And that Blue Cat, of course. Marth and Dan at Blue Cat, yep, that uh, are, are stand-up operators and they run it the right way. So you, right. you, you just avoid that element because things happen and again we're talking about isolated incidents but it gets reported as such yeah. as this big thing and it gets blown up in the media well then people see that and they're scared to come downtown rock island right and so you know you look at it's it's not a scary place to come anymore you know mm-hmm. you, can, you can come down you don't have to worry about anything and uh um and it's really booming all the business and everything down here which just helps places like us you know it's right. generating more critical mass you know, in the downtown area, which is only going to benefit everybody. You know, it's, mm-hmm. we're going to get more people that are just walking by the speakeasy that might see our posters in the front window and say, wow, open source improv. I've never heard of that. Well, that sounds good. I want to go in and see it. Or Windy City Dueling Pianos. You know, mm-hmm. oh, cool. I saw that when I was in Vegas or, you know, in Chicago. Right. Yeah. And I want to go in and see it again. It was a great thing. So, I mean, that's, that, that's what I, I think, you know, with what we're doing here, with what the city and Renaissance Rock Island have been able to do, too, to try to build back the downtown, I think that that's only going to help all of that as well. Mm-hmm. So. I agree. Um, one thing we did not hit upon that I wanted to talk to you about was the history of this building. Uh-huh. Now, this was an actual speakeasy, mm-hmm. like back in the day when there were actual speakeasies in Prohibition and Prohibition and such I, and everything. I, that's what I've heard. So the big story I've heard about this is that it was the first Eagles grocery store. And I don't know what year that was. I think the building was built around 1890-something or other. Right, right. Uh, um, but I, yeah, I don't know. You might know more about the speakeasy backstory. I remember doing a story on this and, and uh, John Looney was, you know, was he, yeah. coming here and something. And, <laughs> and we were trying to figure out whether Al Capone had ever made an appearance at the speakeasy. <laughs> Looking but, for bullet holes in the walls right, in the basement or something. Exactly. So we have a friend that has a dinner theater in downtown Chicago on the south side and, and uh, we were there for a convention a few years ago and she took us downstairs and there were still bullet holes from a uh-huh. gunfight that had erupted down there back in the day in the 20s or whatever and uh, it's crazy. But yeah, I haven't seen any gun, any gun holes in the basement. So it's uh, so maybe if they did, maybe they covered them up or whatever. Uh, now, but right, <laughs> right, cool. Anything else you want to talk about? Anything you want to add? Anything you want to plug in regard to? You already threw in the thing about the du- dueling pianos yeah. and open source, and you know, we are getting ready to open the Music Man at Circa Twenty One uh, uh, next week. So uh, that's always been a, a big favor too. We haven't done it for a number of years, but of course, it takes place in River City, Iowa. Right. So there's lots of ties to uh, to this area. So we encourage people to come back and see that, and then run through the middle of May. Cool. I'll be talking to you and Denny about uh, the 60th anniversary on a podcast on a future podcast or 40th 40th, anniversary. I don't know why I'm thinking things 60th. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And as always, thank you for the speakeasy. Um, Great venue here. What is it? The exact address again, Brett, and what are the phone number and the the website that you want to plug here? Uh, Address is 1818 third Avenue, Uh downtown Rock Island. Uh, Our reservation number is the same as Circa's. So it's a 309-786-7733 extension two. And our website address is the Circa 21, C-I-R-C-A, the numeral 21, speakeasy.com. And you can make reservations for all the shows in the Speakeasy on that website as well. Cool. Always a fun time here at the Speakeasy. I highly recommend. If you have not been down here, check out one of the shows. If you have been down here, give some of the other shows a try. They always have some interesting stuff going on. And you can have a lot of fun down here. So once again, thank you very much to my guest, Brett Hitchcock, um, one of the owners and operation what was it again what was your official title <laughs> director of audience director development. of audience <laughs> development i knew it was some like phony baloney sounding title that basically means you're trying to get people's butts in the doors so anyway thank you very much again to my friend and um the uh director of audience development at the circuit 21 speakeasy brad hitchcock thank you so much for listening to qc uncut 
We hope you've enjoyed the conversation. And as always, uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation between me, your host, Sean Leary, and local newsmakers. And again, thanks for tuning in and hope you tune in to the next episode. Have a good day. Bye.